Hi everyone, it's Joseph Harwood and I'm bringing you my podcast experience, Agitprop Interviews. I fell in love with podcasts after finding out how relaxing and interesting they could be. In this series, I will be sharing stories. I will be delving into different facets of what I'm interested in, from food to lifestyle to travel to spirituality, and I'm very excited to share this from an LGBT perspective. Please enjoy them. They're always peppered with things that make me a little bit more curious, and hopefully they'll make you a little bit more curious too. Today's episode is with the incredible Darren Byrne. Now, Darren is an ex-journalist and became the CEO of outofoffice.com and travelgay.com. Darren is someone that I really wanted to interview because I thought there was such a little amount of knowledge I had in the travel industry because my experience is someone that just travels. I'm not someone that's working actively all the time within it. And I've always been a bit curious about why there's not LGBT representation within travel. And there are very niche kind of hubs that show you and more older fashioned sort of LGBT focus instead of just seeing LGBT people talking about their interests. So my conversation today was really, really great. And I was really privileged to speak to Darren because he's very busy and doing lots of things um, in this area. It's also a bit of a strange one for me to put out there because at the moment we're going through a lockdown. And yes, there are some people traveling, which is not something that I think anyone should be doing during a pandemic. But there you go. And I don't know how to release this without it coming across like we're talking about (laughs) this sort of like long lost treat that we can't have I wanted to to kind of wait and pause until we were talking about vaccinations and talking about how we can open up the country again hopefully in the spring and to me this is the right time to put this episode out there so um I did record it last year but I've just been waiting (laughs) um it was really interesting and really really helpful for me because it made a little bit more sense as to why I don't see much more LGBT and especially gender non-conforming people within travel um, it's still a new area to conquer. I've got a lot of work to do, but please enjoy. So thank you so much for um, agreeing to be a part of my series. I was looking high and low for people that are LGBT within travel, and you've done so much with travel, but I want to start at the beginning. So where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in uh, the home counties, so in a little place called Leighton Buzzard, which is um, just north of London. Uh, and yeah, I had a, a, a pretty lovely childhood, to be honest, um, uh, which uh, I think is, is unusual in this day and age. People say, oh, you know, I had a really troubled childhood. It was really difficult growing up or um, uh, it was difficult coming out. And, um, you know, I had some elements of that. But but by and large, I had a, a, a pretty pleasant childhood. And um, yeah, it was a, a lovely little place to grow up, really. That's cool. I like Leighton. My partner's surname is Leighton, so I like Leighton. <laughs> um, so I know you started out as an assistant news editor at ITM when you were 20. Did you always want to be a journalist? No, never, actually. It never, it never even crossed my mind. So when I was at school, I was lucky enough to get um, work experience at Sky News. There was a, a placement on offer to people at my school um, to allow uh, people to, to come and work for Sky News for a few weeks. And I really I was probably 17 years old and I really didn't know what I wanted to do with my life and I thought well that sounds pretty cool um uh, I'll go and give that a go and I went and did that I worked um overnight for three weeks like on really random shifts um really getting thrown in the deep end actually and uh, I just loved every single second of it so much so that when um I uh, when I finished school and before I went traveling uh, I went back to work there for two or three months on a paid job 
um, which was great. You know, again, gave me a really good grounding in journalism and um, enabled me to save some pennies for traveling, which I did. Um, but yeah, no, it was never really kind of, you know, a lot of people who become journalists, it's always been a kind of vocation or a passion or they've always wanted to do it. I really just fell into it by accident. Uh, and it's funny, actually, I was chatting to some of my team yesterday and we were, we were just kind of throwing around some ideas. And one of the things I said, we were talking about degrees and their, and their value. Um, and one of the things that um, I said is it's funny because a lot of people go and do journalism degrees. And I never did a day of formal journalism training in my life yet. It was my career for 10 years. And I think in a way that was kind of um, I was very proud of that because so many people go through that kind of degree education or, or a master's um, in journalism in order to, to become a journalist because jobs are really few and far between, especially in TV journalism. So I'm very, very lucky that, um, uh, you know, I managed to get that foot in the door at a young age. And, you know, it's all about, you know, impressing people um, from, from the beginning really, and just working really, really hard to show that you're dedicated. I don't think you necessarily need a degree to do that because um, it all comes down to how you interact, how you build rapport with people uh, and how you, uh, show that you're really keen and passionate and 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 good at the job. Um, so I think I, I was very lucky from that that side of things. But no, in answer to your question, I never really set out to be a journalist. It just kind of happened by by chance, which I think kind of what happens with uh, the business too. For sure, it's it's so true as well because I think when you see people, I work in the arts really, and I absolutely despised art college. So <laughs> sometimes you just learn doing things more than studying about doing them. Um, but yeah, I saw you do an interview with Janet Jackson and I saw that you were interested in pop culture. So you're, it was kind of amazing because you were really young when you were all doing this journalism thing. So do you feel like um, during the time in which you did the journalism, it wasn't really the age of social media, was it? Well, it was just starting out. So, um, you know, there were times when we obviously, I was, the, I was the first person to ever tweet from inside a courtroom, actually. When, when, when uh, you know, you weren't allowed to have phones in courtrooms and um, uh, I was covering um, the case of the crossbow cannibal up in Leeds. And um, uh, it was the first court case that um, they had lifted um, the rules and the, the new regulations had come in to allow journalists to tweet from inside courtrooms so that they could actually get live verdicts out quicker than uh, previously done. That is amazing. <laughs> the cannibal. Yeah, well, he, he yeah, he, he, uh, horrible, horrible man who uh, killed prostitutes and then and then ate them, and he used a crossbow to shoot shoot. Them, oh so. my god, I remember that. Oh, that's crazy. Well, that's very that's that's history right Sorry, there. Yeah, we went, I went, I went up on a tangent there a little bit, but um, oh, I like that. I like that. That's good. But you were saving up to travel, and you you that was always something that was interested interesting to you and when I was looking into your story and I was reading up on how you started your amazing websites um you're the founder of out of office um, com, and you have more which I'll talk about in a minute but you're actually traveling with your partner to Egypt and you had a really difficult situation and I wanted to hear a little bit about that as an LGBT person sure so um this was probably when I was early 20s and uh, we'd booked an all-inclusive holiday cheap and cheerful uh to a five-star resort in egypt and you know when i say five star five-star egypt resorts are not kind of necessarily the same uh, quality or standard as other places in the world but um we went to sharm el sheikh and we turned up at the hotel and um, we basically weren't allowed to, to stay there they wouldn't give us a room with a double bed uh, we saw other couples checking in straight couples who were allowed to, to have a double bed it made us feel super super uncomfortable and i just realized 
then. I mean, it, it wasn't a, a, an idea that developed for a few years, but at that point, I thought there's no real way of any LGBT person knowing whether they go to a hotel anywhere in the world, whether it's safe or not, or whether it, you know, they're welcome or whether they're going to have, you just don't want to have those awkward experiences. No one should in this day and age, no matter uh, their gender, their sexual orientation, how they identify, should have um, problems checking into uh, an establishment when you are uh, a paying customer. Um, you know, they should be uh, welcoming to all. And unfortunately, that's still not the case in lots of countries in the world. And, and that really was the kind of inspiration for, for where outofoffice.com came from uh, and a number of years later. Uh, but I still hadn't finished with journalism at that point. So I was uh, you know, still very, very uh, headstrong in terms of staying in journalism for a while longer. So what, if you were to summarise what Out of Office is, how would you uh, explain it? Because it's such an amazing website. And when I was really, to give some background, I worked in beauty for 10 years, but I had this ambition to kind of fill voids of things I couldn't find as an LGBT person. And I found it so difficult to find LGBT hotspots in travel that gave that sort of information um, without it being specifically pride driven or like about gay specific events. I wanted to know I could go anywhere and what would happen when I got there. Do you know what I mean? And I think it was so incredible when I saw Out of Office and, and started to look more about what you guys do because even when it comes to the marketing of seeing people like yourself, you're so like you you're so forward thinking with things like that. And I think that's so so clever. So would you give a little bit of information about what you guys do? Sure. So um Out of Office it really is a luxury tailor-made travel company but everything we do is LGBT friendly. So actually not all of our clients are LGBT, which is great. That's exactly what I kind of set out to, to achieve, to build a company that, you know, welcomes everyone regardless of who you love uh, or how you identify. And um, really for us, we just make sure that the properties and the places that we're sending people to are welcoming to the LGBT community. So really, you know, in places where it's illegal to be gay, for example, like the Maldives, we work with hotels, that um, have perhaps gay managers or that really proactively still want to reach out and welcome LGBT travellers despite the laws there. And, you know, the Maldives is a really interesting destination because um, obviously the mainland is under Sharia law, but um, uh, the, the resorts, it's a very different feel. So some people criticise us and I understand why they do that. Why would you send people to places where it's illegal to be gay? And my answer is very, very simple to that. Well, because I want to travel to these places. So if I want to travel to these places, then there'll be plenty of other people that do too. So it's about enabling them to do it in the safest possible way, really. And, and that's what we do at Out of Office. You know, we make sure that that trip you're going on, you just don't have to worry about your sexual orientation. Or if you do have to worry about it, we at least are very upfront and honest about it with you. So we'll say, for example, you know what, maybe at Marley Airport, don't go um, through... Uh, immigration together as a couple maybe go through separately but once you get to the resort you'll have no problems um, with with being a couple so it's really about being honest with our clients and being transparent too because unfortunately the world is not yet a fully equal place as we all know um, but certainly my view is if, the, if LGBT people do travel to these places it's going to make a difference too it's not just about having a great time but you're actually enabling social change by doing it you are um, exposing locals and people who uh, work there uh, in the resorts to a, a way of life that they might not be 
uh, comfortable with or they might not necessarily know about because they've, they've led a sheltered, a sheltered life. And that's a good thing. And there are also, don't forget, you know, a handful of um, uh, uh, staff within the Maldives who will be LGBT themselves. So for them to see another LGBT couple or person traveling to their country, it opens their eyes. It gives them some hope. So actually, it's not just a kind of selfish, I'm going on holiday to the Maldives. Obviously, that's a great thing to do. But you're also enabling social change by traveling to these places um, and, and opening people's minds. That is so, so, so important. And I think that's, it, it's difficult, isn't it? Because when you when you do not know anything about a culture, you don't really understand what the, you see these maps that criminalise LGBT people, for example, and you see like the majority of African countries, a couple of South American countries, the, a lot of the Middle East and a lot of South Asia basically are red on these maps. And they, they say, these areas are unsafe to go to if you're LGBT. But actually, if you ask a gay person from Tunisia, for example, there is a French colony. So it's very modernised. It's very westernised. And there is gay people there. But it's not, even though it's like criminalised technically, you there is actually LGBT things to do within Tunisia that no one would even find out about unless you've had a destination or you had advice on how to get there. And I've always found it really interesting because... Like you said with the Maldives, um, people see these kind of like amazing um, hotspot destinations, but they don't know about the culture. And it's so right, because when you do go through an airport, you don't know how to be cautious. You don't want to be in a situation where you are put in a difficult situation. So it, it's amazing what you guys do. Thanks. Yeah. And I think, you know, it, hopefully it's funny because this company really, uh, we're trying to do ourselves out of business long term because we shouldn't need to exist. Um, in an ideal world where equality is um, everywhere, um, there shouldn't be the need for our company. But you're right. When you Google things like gay holidays or things like that, there's so much tokenism out there in terms of mass market brands jumping on the pride bandwagon and adding, oh, here's a hotel in Gran Canaria or here's a hotel in yeah. Michigan. Well, you know, it's, it's just a bit too obvious for me. And um, we're a bit more subtle than that. We don't really pass the rainbow flags all over our website in terms of out of office because we don't need to it's not for us to you know have to showcase that we do that in a much more subtle way by showing you know imagery of lgbt couples in destinations and and, and things like that and i think um there is a lot of tokenism in the travel industry bearing in mind that a lot of um employees in the travel industry are lgbt um, that doesn't necessarily match with the way that big companies approach marketing from an lgbt perspective and i think um you know, like I said, if you Google gay holidays, some of the adverts and the brands that come up are mass market brands, but they've put together a pretty rapidly constructed one page on their website, which collates everything that they think every single LGBT person fits into some nice neat box of Grand Canaria and Mykonos. And that. Yes, that is all of last year. I was fighting and fighting to justify why um, I should work with travel companies as a reviewer in the same way that any kind of other straight or cisgender person would. And it was so difficult because so many people just immediately approached me with, oh, we have a pride package. Oh, we have someone that's in-house that does LGBT stuff. And I'm like, no, I don't want to do an LGBT themed review. I just want to review it as an LGBT person, which is equally as valid. And I, it's, I don't know if people are just, they're just wary of treading on the wrong feet or whatever and saying the wrong things but it's very difficult and I, I 
thankfully booked quite a few um, reviews this summertime, which has now not happened because of lockdown. (laughs) So what is going on during lockdown? Have you noticed a massive slowdown and how do you think that's going to affect things in the long term? So um, I am uh, 50-50 about um, uh, a lockdown and the pandemic, to be honest with you. And I'm I'm 50-50 in the sense that I'm optimistic and I'm pessimistic. And I think I'm also being realistic in terms of my approach to how we are forecasting uh, the next few months for our company, certainly. Um, In in the optimistic side of things, um, we've seen... Oh, sorry. It's okay. (laughs) What was that? That was my WhatsApp. Let me start that again. Uh, So in terms of the pandemic, I'm 50-50 really in terms of optimism and pessimism, but also realism. I think um, from our side of things, um, we are optimistic that things will bounce back and things will get back to normal. Um, I'm slightly pessimistic in that I think it will take a lot longer than people think and that other travel companies hope. Um, So we are forecasting for our business that, um, you know, 2021 will be the year of travel, but up until 2021 the next six months are going to be very problematic for travel in general Um, so we are being proactive in reaching out to our customers to look at rescheduling their trips for next year Um, but I'm also um, realistic in terms of you know what we're doing I I, I think that some travel companies out there think that everything's hunky-dory and they're positioning themselves that everything is fine right now it's not fine we can't lie about it there's been a massive impact to consumer confidence there's been a massive impact to um, the way that people are able to travel but it will come back uh, and it's just about making sure that um, uh, your, your company is, is resilient and able to, to see through the next few months which thankfully we have been we've obviously um, used the furlough scheme for a, a number of our staff um, but we're also you know looking longer term at how how things um, grow with the company once things are back on track but in good news um We have on travelgay.com, which is our other brand, we've seen um, this week, uh, week on week, our traffic is up the most it has been since the start of the pandemic week on week. So that's a positive sign. People globally are starting to research trips. They are starting to travel. And in Asia, people are traveling. People are actually visiting um, either other other destinations within their own country or in some cases um, traveling abroad. What is travelgay.com? Because I know you purchased it and it's an incredibly busy and visited site. So did you want to explain a little bit about what that gives you? Because I was, sure. I've was, i been on there so many times, but I like the audience to know too. <laughs> yeah, no, travelgay.com um, is um, a, a, a website that was founded about eight years ago. And it was started as a hobby business. It started out as Travel Gay Thailand to basically become a kind of authoritative guide to Thailand for the, for the, for the LGBT community. And um, it then expanded into other Asian countries. So it became Travelgate Asia. Uh, they then added travelgayeurope.com. Um, and then uh, we came in a couple of years ago and I met the guy who founded it. And he really bought into my vision for what I want to do with the brand and with the site. Um, and uh, ultimately decided he wanted to sell it to us, which was great. So for, for a couple of reasons, we acquired it. One, the sheer amount of traffic that goes to that website is huge. So we've got access to a massive audience um, and all of that traffic is organic. We don't pay to get users on that site at all, which in this day and age is pretty rare. Most brands have to pay to acquire users. Everyone from um, you know, big brands like the Daily Mail or The Sun, they, they're all paying to acquire users still in, in a number of different ways. We don't pay to acquire users. All of our traffic is organic. And since we took the site over, we've added in North America, South America, South Africa. So we've really turned it global and we've unified those 
sub brands into one brand, which is travelgay.com. And really our vision for that brand is, is super exciting. We're about to, uh, by the end of this summer, launch a completely new design to the site. We know the site design is very dated, um, but uh, it's worked and we, that's why we haven't rushed to change it. Um, but we're about to launch a really exciting new site design to that. We're taking on investment to really scale that brand. Uh, and, and really for me, travelgay.com should be a household name in a number of years uh, in the in the LGBT community, a bit like something like Grindr is, for example. So we've got some really ambitious plans for that brand. Really at the moment, what that brand does is it uh, showcases what to do in almost every city on the planet for an LGBT person. So that is bars, clubs, saunas, uh, massage venues, uh, attractions, private guides, um, uh, hotels, you name it, you can find it on there. And we've really started to increase our, our reach by, by expanding globally in the last two years since we've owned the site. And, and, and for me, I'm super excited about what we can do with that brand because we've only just touched the tip of the iceberg on that. My, my plans and the, the, the brand and the ideas we have for growing that site are, are, are vast. And the number of things we can do with that site and with that audience is really exciting um, and also for us the reason from a commercial perspective the reason for purchasing that site is it, it you know it makes very good money as well and also um, from an out of office perspective we're able to now access the travel gay audience to cross market our products which we weren't able to do before it was very hard for us to um, find LGBT travelers and consumers when we just had out of office we'd have to you know we pay to acquire users on out of office and we'd have to go onto Facebook and try to target someone who uh, read attitude magazine and liked kylie minogue for example that's as, <laughs> yeah. as accurate as we could get with our targeting suddenly we have access to the travel gay audience and we can market to all those people um so it's been really um beneficial for us commercially but you know, we, you know I, and, and i'd be lying if i said there wasn't the commercial benefit to having these brands there absolutely is a commercial business behind this and i think that's what a lot of people forget when it comes to LGBT brands. People think that LGBT brands should be fully altruistic and they should, um, you know, be uh, charitable enterprises. And I disagree with that. There's there's a happy medium there between uh, brands that can scale globally, can still remain altruistic and ethical in their outlook and, and, and really focusing on equality, but also make money at the same time. And I think that's really important. And there are very few LGBT brands that actually do that. Oh my God, that is so true. That is so true. It's like they think that you should be an advocate but not pay your phone bill or something. It's crazy. <laughs> yes, exactly. And there's plenty, of, there's plenty of bills and plenty of staff members to pay. So every single month we need to be making money or there won't be a travelgay.com. It's, it's as simple as that. And people do wonder why, um, you know, when we took over the site, we've now started charging venues uh, across the globe for, for premium positions on the site, which wasn't done before. And people were like, why are you now charging us? It's always been free. I said, well, because we want to scale this business and we want to get you as a business, more customers, more visitors and make you more money. But in order to do that, we have to also make money ourselves. Otherwise, travelgay.com wouldn't exist. So, you know, there, there is definitely some naivety in the LGBT community about um, why uh, LGBT businesses um, are, are, are kind of focused on the commercials. But the reality is if there wasn't a commercial model behind something like travelgay.com, there wouldn't be a travelgay.com. Absolutely. And you do, when you kind of vet out things for out of office, for example, I read that you asked the hotel if you've got same sex images within the hotel and stuff. So you're not just contributing to a business, you're contributing to the movement of inclusive inclusivity within the industry you're working in. 
For sure. I mean, I'm a massive advocate. Like whenever I speak to a tourist board, I say, have you got any same-sex imagery? Oh, no, we don't. Or, well, we thought about it. I'm like, well, how do you expect to advertise the LGBT community if you're not investing in those kind of assets? And um, yeah, it's the same with hotels. Um, And unfortunately, most hotels and most um, tourist boards still go for the white, uh, straight, uh, 30 to 40 something year old couple, maybe with a couple of kids. That's who they build their marketing around. That's who they build their brand around. And it is slowly changing. And there are some, some good examples of um, tourist boards that are, that are doing things well. But uh, I think whilst uh, that mindset is still in tourist boards and hotels, we're going to struggle to authentically market to the LGBT community, even though they all want access to the pink pound. They all want access to the pink dollar. And they all want to welcome LGBT customers because they know that LGBT customers on average have 23% more disposable income and they know that they tend to spend more in resorts when they're there and they know that they're much more brand loyal and, and likely to recommend their friends and family if they've had a good experience. So they're, they're not naive to those those really clear facts, but um, it doesn't necessarily trickle down to their marketing and their marketing departments. So, so on point. And if you do need a bubbly presenter to go around the world and review things for Travel Gay in the future, let me know. <laughs> oh, for, sure. for sure. Well, we'll definitely be doing some stuff like that. Once we get the budget for that kind of stuff, which I'm hopeful we will, then we'll definitely be doing that. <laughs> it's interesting because within the LG- LGBT spectrum, there are so many different very varieties of person. And, and we've come to kind of know so many different labels, um, especially in the last three or four years, people have introduced new things like non-binary. Um, some people are campaigning to put non-binary on passports. Do you think that would help people within these situations, for example, traveling? Or do you think that would complicate issues because a lot of countries, it would kind of make it put a red cross on your back, if you see what I'm saying, if you if you were interested in traveling to a country that was discriminatory. So what do you think about that? Um, I've never understood why passports have gender on them, actually. Um, I don't see why it's relevant. And that is starting to trickle down to some countries. So, for example, Malta has removed um, the gender box from its passport, so it doesn't have... Uh, a, a gender field on its passports now and I think more and more countries will go in that direction I don't think it's going to happen overnight um, but I do think it's uh, um, uh, strange why that's not kind of happened more more rapidly um, I think as, an, as a, someone who travels uh, and identifies as non-binary there are undoubtedly extra concerns that that individual needs to to think about and that is how they potentially present when they're going through immigration um, especially if their uh, photo on their passport doesn't necessarily match um, how they're presenting at that point. oh my god that's my issue yes <laughs> I have to go through that how do you do how do you deal with it Oh my God. So I, when I, until about two years ago, I did, I had no beard. So I looked like a girl and in my passport, I look like a girl. And then I get on a plane and now I grow a beard if I'm on a long, a long floor and I get there and they're like, this isn't you. And I've gone through that like about 20 times. It's so awful. I've had horrible people try and do like a search on me. I've had everything you can name happen to, to me when I got there. And it's, I didn't know what to do when I got there. And one of the reasons why I wanted to go into travel is to, to say that to people, because I was like, trying to find some sort of insight into what support you get like maybe a UK embassy contact or things like that just to be cautious because I thought a couple of times it was 
a bit invasive more than I think is appropriate. And I just didn't know what to do. So it's I that was my motivation to start doing more work and travel anyway, because I thought, oh my God, I, I can't keep on going through this. Because I thought I might have to actually change my passport. And then when I go out to like a club or something and they ask for my ID, they won't recognise me there. So I'm like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> you know, it's a minefield, unfortunately. And, and, and I don't unfortunately see it getting... Um, much easier anytime soon. I think, you know, there will still be challenges. And that's because uh, even if improvements are made in our country, those improvements aren't necessarily made in every country at the same time. And uh, and we've seen that with LGBT rights, uh, just more generally. So uh, it, it is a problem. And I think, um, you know, it's something that hopefully people will open their eyes to a bit more in, in the coming years, because it certainly needs to happen. And this certainly doesn't need to be a, a male or female tick box on a passport in my opinion i think that's the way forward and it makes a lot of sense and and you know biometric passports um, no matter how you present that's not going to change you know whether it's your eyes or your fingerprints or that kind of thing that should be the way that you actually identify a person because you know let's be honest there are plenty of people that i imagine throughout the last 20 30 years who've traveled on fake passports or who have um you know they look similar to the person in their passport image which pre-biometric passports would be very difficult to prove one way or the other but now with biometrics i think that's probably where the world needs to, to, to transition to. Um, and I think that's where we'll get to, but obviously um, that should help uh, from a non-binary perspective too. If you were to advise um, travelers that wanted to explore kind of unconventional places that were LGBT friendly, do you have any just like off the top of your head, like recommendations of places to look? Because then maybe people can go through all of the websites and find out all the tea. But I, because there's so many places that I think people just don't think of, but Malta is top of the LGBT index, which I was surprised by. Is So what what do you think is a great destinations? Oh, where to start? Um, <laughs> uh, the reason, well, the, it, let's start with Malta because you, you mentioned it. Malta is a really interesting case study because um, uh, just a few years ago, it was really low down on the LGBT index um, of countries to visit. And that was because traditionally it's a Catholic country. Um, they didn't have many uh, provisions and protections in place. Um, but actually, they really consciously uh, made an effort to change that. Uh, so much so that they really focused on pride. As I said, they took gender off their passports. Um, they've really marketed the LGBT community. Um, so yeah, from 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 showing, I mean, talk about a turnaround from going pretty low down on the index to being number one on when it comes to uh, LGBT rights. That that was a a turn up for the books and really impressive and shows what can be done in a relatively short space of time by by a country if they really put their mind to it. Um, but, you know, when it comes to, to, to destinations, there are so many that every single destination on earth you'll find has its own challenges when it comes to LGBT. It might be that, you know, like I said, in the UK, gender still on passports or, um, you know, when why is the UK not number one when you know, arguably we do have some uh, very good LGBT rights, but there are still a lot of things that, um, especially in the trans world, that still need rectifying um, with the Gender Reform Act and things like that. So um, I think when it comes to destinations, it's really hard to pick them out because it's very individual and it depends on where on the spectrum of LGBT an individual uh, identifies and, and, and how relevant that destination is to it. So I wouldn't want to necessarily kind of come out all guns blazing for yes. one particular destination, but... Um, <laughs> But, you know, you, you, there are obviously um, uh, 
some traditional destinations. And we talked about Gran Canaria and Mykonos before. There are some traditional destinations which are welcoming. Um, but then you look at Greece and Mykonos and places like that and same-sex marriage, legal same-sex marriage is still not uh, possible in um, destinations for tourists, for example. So um, there's, there's still a long way to go in, in, in almost every destination. I can't think of a destination that doesn't still have progress to make. Definitely. And it's always ever changing. Like I, I love Japan, but Japan has ruled back some crazy rules on trans inclusion and sterilization, I think, if you want to transition. But it's just like bonkers, really, some of the stuff that goes on. And it's always different. Um, do you have any memorable destinations that you personally have gone on that you could be like, oh, that was my favorite highlight trip? <laughs> oh, um, oh, there's a few places. So, um, uh, I love Australia. I lived there for a bit. That's where I went traveling when I was younger. And I, I just, it's such a, a beautiful country. Um, I love Iceland as well. I think, you know, there's a lot in such a, a, a diverse country in terms of the, the nature and the activities you can do there. Um, I loved um, Finnish Lapland. Uh, so I went there and saw the Northern Lights. They stayed in one of those amazing glass igloos where you kind of sleep under the northern lights which is just uh incredible um from a from a southern hemisphere south africa and mauritius are great places to pair together um sri lanka and the maldives really good places again um people might think oh sri lanka maldives not sure about that but i've traveled to them and 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 they're great and again if you do it the right way and you're uh, staying in the right places you won't have any any challenges there um i love different parts of america this again america is a really diverse place um everything from you know the kind of gay meccas of america i.e uh, uh fort lauderdale key west provincetown palm springs um uh, anywhere in california basically like you know such such diversity there such diverse nature um yeah so and then i love the greek islands as well so um yeah everywhere <laughs> everywhere 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 find out all of the information on your website so i will link everything in the description below um thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me today and sharing a little bit of info about what you do and travel because it has been so hard to narrow down like travel people to interview and i've been meaning to um connect with you so sorry i reached out on twitter <laughs> fine and um, we'll definitely keep in touch i'll send you an email after but i won't keep you any longer because i know you've got things to do so um thank you thanks so much joe take care <laughs> i'm editing the audio and then i'm recording this at the very end and i have to say i'm a bit frenetic <laughs> So I apologise to um, <laughs> the wonderful Darren, who is a professional journalist, because I'm more of a in, an, an interactive host, shall we say. <laughs> but check out OutOfOffice and TravelGay.com, because they are such amazing um, websites for LGBT people to look at. You can learn more and check out Darren on all his social media for all his stuff. And don't forget to subscribe to Agitprop Interviews on your podcast app. We're on iTunes, SoundCloud and all the above. <laughs> Take care. Find me on my Facebook, my Instagram, my Twitter, agitprop.world. And I'll see you in the next episode. <laughs>